In the Wild West world of podcasting, there is one podcast that is authentic and genuine and continues to stand tall in its originality. Based on a passion for his guests, their work, and his love of podcasting, Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast get amazing, diverse, unique guests found nowhere else. They include Hall of Fame athletes, Academy Award winners, Golden Globe winners, Super Bowl champions, Emmy winners, award-winning authors, award-winning film score composers, directors, trailblazers, pioneers, and venters, the variety and quality are endless. There is something for everyone. Derek Thomas is the hero you deserve. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. Here is Derek Thomas. I wish you would have told me. You didn't tell your sisters what you saw. Why not? Some things can't be told. You live them, or you don't, but they can't be told. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry, Dad. This is all yours now. The house. I want you to know you and your sisters and your brother were the best part of my my never been prouder of anything anything ever each other and nothing else be kind I was so lucky to be your dad Welcome to Monday Morning Critic Podcast. This is episode 225. The clip you heard rolling in was from the 2018 Netflix release, The Haunting of Hill House. It is an episodic show. I want to say it's 10 episodes um, with that scene coming from the last one. And what you heard was, and for those of you that have seen this know what I'm about to say, um, there's two actors that play the father in this show. Uh, The first being Timothy Hutton, who plays the older version of Hugh Crane. Um, the older timeline, and Henry Thomas, the younger version, playing the younger timeline. Same character, Hugh Crane, but just two different timelines, two different points uh, of Hugh Crane's life. And I got to say, one, to take that chance, Mike Flanagan, the director, for him to take that chance is very risky because the chances of it falling apart and not working are extremely great. But to have it pay off the way it did... um, I got to tell you, uh, Timothy Hunt and Henry Thomas combining just to be absolutely phenomenal. And I have to tell you, The Haunting of Hill House is maybe the best show I've seen in the last decade. Um, I It left me floored. It left me speechless. Um, yes, you hear the word horror a lot. You hear horror and horror. A lot of this horror keeps being thrown around. But the what gets you with this show is the love 
and the family connection. You know, Hugh Crane is father to five children. And nothing goes smoothly for the kids. Nothing goes smoothly in Hugh Crane's life. Uh, it's very powerful. It's very emotional. If you haven't seen it, get on it. I mean, it is one of the best shows on any streaming service. I don't say that because Henry's coming, you know, Henry's my next guest. I say that because it's the absolute truth. And I, I, I'm still blown away by it. I get goosebumps just talking about it. Hunting of Hill House has just left an impression on my heart that, that most shows can never touch. And, um, you know, personally, it just means a lot to me for a lot of reasons, which I'll keep to myself and not share, but just really means the world to me. And, you know, I've, I've interviewed many people, you know, my guests are composers and directors and writers and so forth, actors. And chances are, if they're on the show, all of them have impacted my life in some way. But it's unique to have a guest like Henry, where my timeline, we talked, you know, timelines earlier, you know, with, with Hugh Crane, his timeline and my timeline, as far as our age, you know, and my personal life is just, it's amazing, right? Because it starts in well, 1981 with Steeler and the Pittsburgh Kid, but it advances to E.T. in 82. You know, I'm nine years old. Um, Henry and I are roughly the same age. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, 84. I mean, E.T.'s special to me because it's the mo- first movie I've seen in the theaters. Um, Cloak and Dagger, I think I watched that as recently as a few years back before my dad passed. We, you know, we watched that together. That movie impacted me like no other. And I can successfully make the argument, not now or here, that that's the most underrated movie to come out of the 80s. Uh, Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas are amazing. Amazing. Um, if you get a chance, what, and it's the, you know, the 1982, the 1984 version. There's other versions of that out there. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the one with Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman, um, one of the most underrated movies in general, certainly to come out of the 80s. Um, you know, and, and this is a very impressionable time for me as a kid. You know, 10, 11 years old, fifth, sixth grade. Um, my best memories in life are from this time period. You know, some of my best memories are certainly from this time period. And here Henry is along the way. Um, you know, Henry progresses to Legends of the Fall, huge part. Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, Suicide Kings, 97, Christopher Walken, All the Pretty Horses, stars uh, along um, Matt Damon, wonderful soundtrack directed by Billy Bob Thornton, Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese, 2002, Gerald's Game, 2017. I think he meets um, Mike Flanagan, who directed Hill House and Bly Manor and Doctor Sleep in this ballpark. Uh, there's a movie called Ouija, which I think he I might have met him a year before that, but it's in that Gerald's game ballpark. You know, Haunting of Hill House is 2018. He takes up Jack Nicholson's role as um, Jack Torrance in uh, Dr. Sleep, which is, you talk about risky. I mean, this could have been nightmarish, and it doesn't. It's not. Um, you know, I I bring something up in the interview about this, and, and I'll just touch, about, touch upon it quickly. Um, there is a, you know, for those of you that follow The Mandalorian, Beautiful scene with Skywalker at the end. Uh, but there's something just off with CGI slash computer graphics that are used with humans. There's just something off. You know, I love the moment. I was bawling my eyes out. But I was just fixated on Mark Hamill's mouth. Something just didn't move right. It was just weird. So whatever that computer is. So here Mike Flanagan again takes a risk and casts Henry Thomas as the iconic Jack Torrance from The Shining. And what does Henry do? Again, kicks its ass all over the place, does a phenomenal job portraying that character. You never once doubt um, who that is and where it's from. I mean, it's just, so I get kind of 
perturbed when people tell me um, that, oh, Henry Thomas, the kid from E.T., I mean, it's just used in a way I feel like it's so disrespectful. I mean, I know people aren't trying to be, and I, and I know they're trying to pay Henry homage and they're trying to uh, pay him a compliment and be very respectful, but it's it's making him sound like a bit of a one-hit wonder when it, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, he's a good-looking guy. He's one of the best actors alive right now. I mean, and when I look at his timeline, right, for, for movies that meant a lot to me, I talked about the early stuff. Then you get into Legends of the Fall, one of my favorite movies from the mid-90s. And then as we progress, here is Henry Thomas. You know, again, same age as me. You know, here's a guy that just has a special place in my heart. I know it sounds awkward. I know it sounds weird. But I'm just being very honest with you. Like, I've had guests before that, like I said, I admire their work. But Henry's work has just been with me from day one, it seems like. If this interview took place in person, and I don't care that this sounds unprofessional. I really don't. I'm just being very honest with you. If this took place in person over a few beers, we would have had a lot of laughs. It would have ended with a hug. And I would have told him what I'm telling you now, just, you know, how much his work is, has truly meant to me. Because every one of Henry's um, accomplishments, pieces of his filmography are surrounding big moments in my life, monumental moments in my life that are very near and dear to me. And, you know... If you told the 11-year-old me that one day you get a chance to talk to Henry Thomas, um, I would have been ecstatic. And the 47-year-old me right now is telling you I was ecstatic during this interview. Um, I just, I think the world of this man. And Henry's um, career path is very unique. It's very unusual in the sense that many times child actors, their path ends early and it ends tragically, right? You have River Phoenixes of the World, Corey Haim, Brittany Murphy, uh, Dustin Diamond, um, you have other actors that are living, and I'd, I'd rather not mention names, but, you know, being a child actor is very, very difficult. It is very difficult. And for Henry to come out the other side and be this good for this long, it's unheard of. It's unheard of. He's got a great look to him. He knows he is just so good at encompassing characters and becoming those people. Um, there's no one quite like him. He's very original in that way. And it cannot be understated how hard Henry Thomas has worked to get to where he is today. The resiliency, the courage, it's unfathomable what he's what he went through and where he is today. You know, in 1982, E.T. is the most popular movie on the planet. It is the very definition of the words instant classic. There is no question that this movie w- it will live on forever immediately. It's that good. Spielberg's behind it. You know, you have the product endorsement. This movie's the original product endorsement movie, right? We watch movies today, whether it's a, you know, like a Talladega Nights or Step Brothers. There's soda, everything. There's all types of products being introduced. Doritos. Um, but you look at E.T., what were the products that came out of that? You know, Reese's Pieces. Is it Reese's Pieces or Reese's Pieces? Talk about that. During this whole interview, this is the thing I'm struggling with the most, regardless. So that's that comes out of it. I mean, the coolness of owning a BMX bike, um, the Star Wars action figure, Coors beer is in this, the various board games, the bedrooms themselves. I mean, I still am jealous of them to this very day. Everything that was set up with that. I mean, so Henry is on top of the world at this point as far as popularity goes. He's in he's in this classic movie. He's well known, he's known throughout the world. There isn't a place he could go where he wouldn't be recognized. 
for a variety of reasons, and to keep this short, um, after E.T., he goes back home for a variety of reasons and, and kind of enters back into everyday life. And considering what I just told you, the popularity, how well-known he is, can you imagine re-entering life as just an average, everyday, you know, citizen who, you know, being, you know, what, 11, 12 years old? It's unfathomable to me what he went through. He was bullied. He was, you know, called Hollywood. He was treated horribly. And because you're popular, that doesn't somehow make you immune to being hurt and going through hell. And I have a feeling, and Henry didn't tell me this, but just from researching it, I have a feeling it was a very difficult transition after ET for that little time span. And I can't imagine what that's like to go through what he did and then going expected to live in you know the, the normal average everyday life of the fifth or a sixth grader. You know, because he was re-entered at the public schools. There was no tutor or anything like that. He went back and was instead of being revered, I feel like he was ridiculed, he was mocked. You know, here's the most popular kid in the world from the most popular movie in the world. And he's coming from Hollywood and California to re-enter life back in San Antonio, Texas at the age of 11, 12, and expected to kind of pick up the pieces and keep going where you left off before E.T. was filmed, strikes me as virtually impossible and a burden that seemingly seems impossible to overcome. And it's amazing that Henry is the person and actor that he is today. He defied the odds and then some. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at Monday Morning Critic Podcast, Instagram, Monday Morning Critic. Please welcome the incredible Henry Thomas. My next guest is an actor, musician, and author. I could not be more thrilled to be talking to him today. Please welcome Henry Thomas. Henry, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, Derek. I appreciate it. So, Henry, we talked briefly off the air. Um, I'm going to tell you that we are the same age, pretty much. Um, oh, excellent. Yeah, so I, I you just... survived as well. <laughs> and, and I just had my first child. She, her name is Lucy. She's seven months old. And I know you have children. Is there any... Oh, congratulations. Ad- yeah, thank you so much. Is there any advice that you can give me? I, I know you have girls. I know you have children. Um, is there anything from your raising these wonderful kids, seemingly, that you could give me advice on moving forward? Ah, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess everybody's an expert and nobody's an expert. Um, uh, I would just say, I mean, for girls, it's amazing because, you know, they really keep you busy for a long time, but then they, they sort of raise you at the same time, I think. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's an exciting adventure. And I think uh, you're in store for, for a lot of good things if you... Be patient and uh, always keep your cool. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> Good <that>, luck. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's great advice because she definitely already is teaching me as we go. She's kind of dictating how things go, so I can I can second that. Uh, but yeah, get, welcome welcome to the rest of your life, my friend. Yeah, well, wait, wait till wait till she's uh, twelve and uh, asking you hard questions, or or when she's seventeen and. And uh, she doesn't want to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you were born and raised in San Antonio. And um, there's a lot of stories about, you know, you as a child growing up. Um, You know, I had a guest. He was a composer from Australia. And he got um, 
bit by a redback spider, almost lost his life. You had something similar. Speaking of, you know, children at 19 months old, I believe you were bit by, I think it was a rattlesnake. Pretty scary yeah. moment. Pretty scary moment, Henry, huh? Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I, uh, by, by, by all accounts, I, I should have been killed from that. But uh, luckily, there was a doctor in town in San Antonio who was kind of a pioneer of snake bite treatments. And he had kind of famously saved a lot of kids from snake bites uh, in Texas. And his name was uh, Dr. Robert Glass. And he uh, saved my life, basically. Um, I, I have a horrible scar on my back because they had to do an emergency surgery, but um, I was bitten on the back. And I lost a muscle in my back, which, as I'm like now at my age, now I notice it. I mean, I've, I've coped with it all my life, but, uh, you know, like uh, my lower back uh, is really. Uh, messed up because of it but hey i lived otherwise i'd be dead <laughs> yeah i mean the, the luck of it because they're grown men that don't even survive that you know and i'm bringing up a couple of these things because they're going somewhere but the other thing is um you almost lost your life again you had to jump off a bridge to avoid being hit by a car when you were three and, and wow <laughs> yeah you've you've really uh you've, you've really done your homework <laughs> yeah, but but by the by the time you're three, you have these like scary moments here, and, and I'm definitely leading somewhere with this. But like, that's another like you were lucky to get out of that alive as well, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I I I think I've cheated death many many times, uh, but especially when I was a kid, I I was a pretty wild uh, kid, and I lived in a rural area, so I was often left to my own devices, and I was pretty self sufficient. You know, I got in a lot of trouble. Mm, mm. You know, and, and I'm I'm only going to this background because those are listening, and you know, um, I I know you've answered just a, a ton of, of questions about ET, and I'm not going to spend too long on it, but I, I do believe it's an enormous part of your life. I think it's a big part of a lot of people's lives, um, and, and I do believe you have set the record for the longest press tour in cinematic history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I said that once. Yeah, yes. Said, this is the longest press tour. <laughs> you said that line, and I was I could not stop laughing because I can't even imagine the amount of times you have to, you're asked by this, including me. Um, so, well, but, I'm, glad, I'm glad you laughed. I, I don't. I don't know. If I, I think I, I was met with a lot of blank stares. I think when I said it. <laughs> you, you, uh, <laughs> you, your first project is, is Raggedy Man with CC Spacek. It leads to an audition with Spielberg. Um, that audition tape is is very famous um, on YouTube. Pretty moving stuff. And you have also referenced that you know in times during that movie, um, you had a dog when you were when you were younger. Again, I hate to keep going back. To, this is the last question about you being a kid, but you know you had you had a dog that had lost its life. It was attacked by other dogs in the neighborhood. You referenced that often. I don't know if that played a part of this audition tape, but you know I've seen a lot of movies, Henry, a lot of TV shows. Um, I got to say um, that audition tape is pretty powerful stuff, especially for a kid that was your age at the time. Oh well, thank you. I I, I appreciate it. You know, and the 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 audition tape resonates uh, with so many people, and it's gone viral so many times uh, on YouTube over the years. Uh, it's strange for me because I was there that day, and you know, I was just a kid trying to get a job, and I didn't really know that much about acting um, or anything uh, at that point. 
but uh, it, it's mildly discomforting to me that uh, acting teachers use that audition as an example of what you should be going for uh, to acting students, hmm. <laughs> which I've heard numerous times. And hmm. um, I, I, I think that's just categorically wrong because I was never an acting student. And um, also, uh, I really didn't have any technical skill. I was just flying by the seat of my pants. Um, and I, I don't think that's something you can teach. But um, but also, uh, you know, it, it, it's really unfair, I think, to all the young actors uh, <laughs> who are looking at that audition thinking that it's some kind of pinnacle of, of acting when... It, really, it's it, it's just a kid uh, doing his best to please the adults in the room. Mm, mm, that, yeah, that's really well I said. I mean, I'm happy I got the part. Don't get me wrong. And it worked. Uh, whatever I did worked. But um, by no means is that an example of, uh, you know, what you should do in an audition situation. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it's an example of what you are capable of. It's not necessarily a, a, an example of what other people are capable of. And, and I totally get that point. You know, um, I had Dee Wallace, as I mentioned to you on the show, she could not stop raving about you. She said the nicest things about you, Henry. Um, re- really she's, great person. Uh, she, she's my mom, you know, she's, she's always been in my corner and she's a great lady and a great actress. And, um, you know, I've, I've, D and I and Robert McNaughton, uh, and also, uh, C. Thomas Howell, we've all sort of, you know, kept in loose touch over the years. Uh, and they feel like family now. Um, I mean, they felt like family then, but I, even more so now as I get older, you know. Yeah, and I think my last comment about E.T. is is this. is like, you know, it's the product placement, certainly, because movies have done this like crazy. I feel like E.T. was a trendsetter here. But I also think it's kind of like, Henry, it's like people's, when they look at their lives, you know, their first kiss, their first, you know, prom it's it's i feel like it's a monumental thing in that regard it kind of it's a it's a it's a place in a timeline that's a very special place for a lot of people you know it's also you know the Reese's pieces and all the product placement stuff as i mentioned um and i think that's what makes it so special to so many people and you've been at a lot of comic cons do you find that to be the case where it's a nostalgia thing i mean the movie's fantastic but i feel like it's just people it gets better with age and i feel like it's because of that nostalgic piece to it uh, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think the nostalgia is, is definitely like a, a large part of it, but, but I think the nostalgia comes, uh, from a different place than most other things that people are nostalgic about in pop culture. Um, in my experience, when people have come up to me and talked to me about their experience with, with E.T., uh, it's usually like family based. It's always, I saw this movie with my father or I saw this, uh, you know, in the theaters with my grandmother. And this is the first movie that I remember, remember going to see, uh, in theaters, things like that. It's always, a uh, very personal thing that, that sits with people. And it usually sits, with them 
in the region of family. Mm. Um, and for that reason, I think the film has remained very special uh, with, with so many people. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and I think the one thing that bothers me, look, listening to interviews from when you were younger, I mean, you did an interview when you were younger, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but you did an interview. You must you must have been very young at the time, not far off from E.T. This, uh, this reporter was so imposing to you. I mean, she had her hand on your knee, her hair was in your face, like, and you handled it with such grace and such elegance. Um those moments, you handled those really well. I can't imagine many child actors handling it the way you did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I um, I had good parents, um, and you know, a, a good family. Like they, they definitely like raised me and uh, you know taught me how to behave socially um in that regard yeah i, mean, I don't think that was I, I i don't think that was uh that was me uh really just running on autopilot probably <laughs> yeah season season pro you know and and i think the one thing that does bother me though is like when people say you know the actor from et and I, i'm like you know, have you not been around the last 30 years? Like, have you not seen anything? Because I think the re- <laughs> I think the remarkable part of your life is how you evolve as an actor, how you improve and maintain at such a high level. Like, I mean, you were fantastic, obviously. I'm not saying that. But where you are at your age now, you're as good as actors as, as, I've, as I've seen. Oh, I, I certainly appreciate you saying that. Uh, I, and... I appreciate it. I mean, that's, that's really been the goal the whole time. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always just wanted to do the best work that I, that I could possibly do. Um, and that takes time to discover, uh, as an artist, but also, you know, it, it takes a lot of, uh, it, it takes a lot of perseverance just to stick around uh, in this very fickle, fickle business um, that often has very little to do with, um, you know, it, where your success often has very little to do with how talented you are or you may be or things you may be capable of doing. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really appreciate you saying that, um, me, I'm always looking for the next job, you know, that's where I am as an artist. Uh, I'm always hand to mouth. So I don't know if that's, that may have like killed my personal life, but saved my professional life. I'm not sure. Yeah, and speaking of your personal life, even more impressive than your your evolution as an actor is you know you know after ET for a variety of reasons you end up you know you, you go back home again and I can't I can't imagine you know in the eighties how difficult it must have been for you to go back to what I'm guessing is a small town after being you know one of the most popular people on the planet and you know then kind of your parents were not your parents but you know you're you're in the small town atmosphere and you're kind of like well here kind of like resume your life after what yeah. you, what you've been through i can't imagine how difficult that must have been people could say oh yeah it must be really tough being a no it had to be extremely tough 
um, to kind of say, okay, here's where you are. Now here, live with this. Henry, to me, that seems like the most challenging part of your life up to that point. Yeah, I think it was. And I think it was a mistake, actually, uh, in retrospect, uh, because like not really like staying there, but the way that I went about it, um, I think my my parents were really keen on not having their lives interrupted or changed in in any way. You know, Mm. they were just going back to business as usual. And this movie thing that I was doing was just, you know, an anomaly and it would probably not last. Uh, So that was their attitude towards it. Um, And I was kind of, of the mindset that I wanted to go back to school and keep my friends because those were the people that I had known before I got famous. And, you know, now who, who could I trust? Mm. But, Mm. but then, you know, when you were, when, 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 when you're going to school, when you are 10 years old or whatever, and you're thinking of these things, you're not really thinking of them long-term and uh, it would have been much better for me long-term had my parents just gone all in and said, let's go to LA and you can go to school with other kids who are in the business and you can uh, work and we can make it work because, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a more lucrative proposition. Right. 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 My dad was making $500 a week as a mechanic, basically, in an, in an airfield. And that had been our only source of income uh, until I started doing movies. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I want to say, and you finally get to a point in your life, Henry, where you say, you know what, you, you, I want to say you're around 17 at the time, and you decide to move to New York. Do you remember that moment? And my God, how difficult of a decision is that to do? Yeah, I was emboldened by youth, and so it was quite easy for me to just say, uh, I'm doing it. And I had the money that I had worked uh, worked for as a kid. My parents had put that in a trust for me. So when I was 18, uh, that was, that was coming to me. So I thought, okay, uh, I've got, a, a you know, a foothold here, uh, financially and I can kind of go do what I want for a little while. And maybe this is the only time in my life that I'll be able to do that. Mm. Um, so I did it and it didn't really work out, but, um, I'm glad that I did it. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. And I want to bounce a little bit on your – I would be remiss if I did not mention, you know, the most underrated movie to come out of the 80s. And I have such strong memories with my dad, whom I've lost. And I have to say, uh, 1984, Cloak and Dagger, no other movie coming out of the 80s was <laughs> was as good as that. I'm sorry. Um, my, my childhood revolved around that. And I'm not just saying this because we're speaking. Um, that is the 100% truth. No, it, it's great to hear, actually, because um, that – movie you know it kind of uh, the the failure of that film at the box office sort of ended my deal at universal i had like a five picture deal uh after et and 
after that flops, they said, ah, sorry, kid, <laughs> you know, you're done. And, um, uh, but for me, like that was the moment where that was the only film that I had ever done where I was the star. Like I was the star. They were writing the script around me and they were filming it in my hometown and they were changing everything, you know, just to suit my needs. And it was so bizarre. Um, and I was 11 years old turning 12 and I just thought that it was crazy, but I loved, I loved the film. I loved making the film I love now that guys my age and our age, it impacted a very small microcosm of men that are our age and they all love the film and they all tell me whenever they see me how much they love the film and it makes me feel very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and just just going here quickly before I get to a couple of the other you know your your latest projects. Um, 1994, Legends of the Fall. Uh, you tell a funny story with the DP on ET, and you told him, "My God, that that, that shoot on ET was so long," and he starts la- <laughs> he, he starts laughing at you. It's a really cute story that you tell, and he's like, "You know, that's really wasn't that long of a shoot, you know." So um, it's funny what a small world it is at times. Yeah, it really is, and. It's also funny because, um, you know, you, you do see the same people uh, again and again, uh, especially crew people. Uh, and, and it changes, you know, in, in the regions and everything. But, um, but that's one of the greatest things that I love about this business and the greatest feelings that you can have, I think, in the industry is being on a show with somebody that you've been on a show with before like three or four times and um you have those memories and you know these are people that i've never written a letter to or called on the phone or have any personal interactions with outside of work but you feel like you feel like your family you know you feel like your best friends mm, mm. You know, in, in 94 also, I mean, you're clearly, a, you're, I would say, a veteran at that point. You've done your share of movies, and then you, you're, you're with this cast with Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, and we also get a chance to see your musical chops, right, your vocal abilities. Um, uh, we see the musician side of you. Um, it, it, is that overwhelming for you, or do you feel, are you nervous at this point? Because there's a lot going on here. It's a classic movie. Major, it's, it's a movie that is highly regarded. Um, talk about your experience a little bit with that, um, if you wouldn't mind. Well, uh, I actually, I lobbied for that scene, um, for that chance to, uh, showcase Samuel kind of singing or, or, you know, being, a being a center point, uh, to the family for an evening, you know, I needed that, uh, somewhere because, I was a young actor and I was ambitious and I knew this was going to be a big movie and I had a small part and I set about immediately trying to aggrandize that part. Um, and I did that through conversations with the director and the other cast members. Um, but I was really, uh, I was really tr- just trying to get more screen time uh, mm-hmm. as much as I could. And, so I, <laughs> I said 
to the director at Zwick, I said, you know, um, Anthony Hopkins is Welsh. Uh, my family's Welsh. <laughs> you know, the Welsh have a great tradition of singing. Uh, maybe we could be singing a song together. You know, I wasn't trying to do it on my own because I didn't want to be caught out there singing, right? Mm. Um, but it turned into Ed Zwick saying, well, you research it and find a song and, uh, you know, you should sing it because people did that back then, you know, with their families around the piano. I said, okay. <laughs> and I thought, oh, shit, man, what have I gotten myself into now? And I started listening to all these old, like, Welsh choir songs, and I'm not a singer, you know? Mm. Um, so my dad was a trumpet player. I played trumpet and guitar and several other instruments, but, you know, I, I have a musical proficiency, but not I'm, I'm not a professional singer. I'm not a trained singer. Um, so anyway, it ends up that Edswick, uh, and, uh, James Horner, I guess, uh, they create this song. And the next thing I know, I'm going to be singing this song. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I had to go record it in a studio and it was really, uh, yeah, it was something, but, um, but I'm glad that it's in there. It's really funny because that's one of Mike Flanagan's favorite moments. Wow. Uh, in cinema. Wow. And one night, uh, his wife uh, kicked me out of their house because at, you know, one o'clock in the morning or something after dinner, Mike says, Hey, Henry, um, I've got this electric piano check it out. It's in my, you know, and I said, Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, that's really great. It's got a great sound. Yeah. Weighted keys. Yeah. It's really cool. And then he starts launching into, uh, you know, she belongs to the twilight and mist or whatever the name of the song was from legends of the fall. And so I start singing it like an idiot and, um, we start singing it together and we're getting really loud. And then all of a sudden, uh, Kate Siegel comes in the room and uh, she says, Henry, it's time for you to go home. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. That's great. And, you know, um, before I get into... The title, uh, of, the title of, of, of that little uh, anecdote is Me and My Big Mouth. <laughs> Before I get to the, the great Mike Flanagan, um, you know, are, are you one of these people that's always learning on set? Um, you know, I, I would be remiss again if I didn't mention All the Pretty Horses aside, Matt Damon, directed by the great Billy Bob Thornton, um, Gangs of New York, Martin Scorsese. And again, these people who um, say, you know, Henry Thomas from, you know, E.T. are, are, are clearly not doing their homework. Um, but um, are you always learning on set? You've been in a lot of situations with a lot of phenomenal actors. Are you always learning? Are, are, are you that kind of um, learner and, and actor? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, I, I try to be. Uh, I think, you know, that's the goal. The problem is sometimes your ego and the day or whatever get in the way and you're not doing as good of a job as you as you could be at, at learning but i try to be yeah 
Yeah, and I got to tell you, I don't, I don't think I've ever been as floored as I was in 2018 with Haunting of Hill House. Um, you know, it just left me out. Like, I mean, it took me 30 minutes to recover, and that's no exaggeration. Um, you play Hugh Crane, for those listening, along with Timothy Hutton, two different timelines, two different points in Hugh's life. Uh, one of the most, you know, ingenuous, one of the most genius casting decisions I've ever seen. Um, do you and Tim meet prior to that? Timothy meet prior to that to create a consistent character for Hugh? We did, uh, you know, we weren't too heavy handed about it. It was pretty organic. Um, I think uh, we spent a couple of days together just kind of talking and walking around and hanging out. And, uh, you know, I think during that time we were stealing mannerisms from each other and kind of figuring out who this guy was. Uh, and then it just sort of happened, you know, um, Tim came and watched me a couple of days on set, uh, when I was first, uh, you know, cause my stuff, the, the earlier timeline played before, uh, Tim's work started. Hmm. So uh, I might've gotten like a first pass at the character and then it's sort of just cemented from there. Yeah. He, he's such a wonderful dad that has gone through hell. <laughs> um, and, and the irony is, is that you're, you know, with these kids and you're raising these kids and these kids are seeing hell. Um, and those kids, I have to believe Henry from looking on the outside were absolute pros. Oh, they were so fantastic. Like uh, any any fears that I had about their ability as pros, uh, they they faded away after the first day of shooting because those guys were better prepared than I ever was as a kid. Yeah, and, and I hesitate to call this horror because it is. But I but you know everyone deals with their form of horror. You know whether it's trauma or loss or memories. Um, let me ask you: Is there any good in Hill House? Right, because. You know, the groundskeepers lose their daughter, but they're able to see her through Hill House. Is there any good in that house? I mean, I I don't know if it's good, but it's um, it, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it it's definitely holding on to something. Uh, I don't know if you can say those are good things or bad things. Uh, it depends on what side of the line you fall on, I, I believe. Yeah, And you mentioned Mike Flanagan, right? And everything he's done, you know, he wrote this, he directed it, he did some editing. He, he, this was his baby. He's an absolute visionary and he's one of our greatest storytellers. He clearly thinks the world of you and your abilities. And he's, he's brought you with him into his, most of his projects. Talk about your rapport, your friendship, your, your collaboration with Mike. Well, uh, that started on Ouija origin of evil um, that started with Mike calling me in for a meeting uh, about that role uh, in in Ouija of Father Tom, the Catholic priest and superintendent of the school uh, where mm. uh, Annalise Basso uh, is going to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I met with Mike and I thought oh, here's a guy that uh, is a fan of my work and he probably just wants to meet me. And I went into the office and sat down with him and 
he was really well prepared and really uh, had everything kind of lined out and told me about the shooting schedule and what they were going to do and all of the stuff. And I walked out of the meeting thinking, wow, is this guy for real? Or, you know, is he just kind of like uh, an enthusiastic fan of mine and this is as far as it will go. But it ended up uh, being a role that I got cast in. And I said, wow, okay. Uh, Because I hadn't worked in a little while. It had been like, I don't know, seven or eight months and it had been kind of slow. And I did the job and the whole time Mike was saying, oh, I've got this other project and you would really be right for it. And I really want you to be this guy and this guy. And I'm thinking like my actor alarm is going off and I'm thinking this guy is just uh, one of those Hollywood talkers. You know, he's going to tell me a lot of Hollywood tales like Hmm. you're going to be a star kid and (laughs) I'll see you on the next one. And, you know, and Hmm. you know, I'll never see him again. Uh, and thankfully I was wrong because it's turned into the most wonderful collaboration that I've, I've had with, with any director, uh, any other artist, really. It's so much fun, uh, to work with Mike. He's, uh, a very, very accomplished, uh, filmmaker and he's so smart. He, his writing is getting better and better, uh, which it, it was already good before. Uh, so the dialogue is getting easier. The you know the stories are getting more intense and more layered. And I, I'm just really it's exciting for me because I've gotten to watch Mike become a better filmmaker, and I've been a part of that process. Um, and that's something that I never really thought about before, before meeting him. Uh, but it's a wonderful thing to see, and it's a great thing to be a part of his projects. Yeah, and I have a few more questions for you, Henry. Thank you so much for all your time. You know, and I have to say, you know, that last episode, uh, see, um, episode 10 of Hill House, there's so many great lines. You say one where you say, it's your last line, you said, and be kind to each other. If nothing else, be kind. I was lucky to be your dad. I mean, I lost it at that point. Um, I do have to say, Mike's faith in you shines, I feel like, in Doctor's Sleep, right? So I'm watching The Mandalorian, and I immediately think of you guys, right? You and Mike. It's so, it's so strange, because Disney+, Plus they bring back Luke Skywalker, and they de-age him. And whenever somebody's de-aged with CGI, it just never looks right. There's something that always looks off. The mouth is off. Yeah. yeah so I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, I was thinking they're better off using Sebastian Stan. So... I'm thinking how Mike Flanagan used you as, you know, uh, Jack Torrance, you know, and instead of de-aging Jack Nicholson. And what a wonderful decision that turned out to be. Without question, a fantastic decision. Um, was there any pressure? First of all, did you take that one as a compliment that he would bring you in for that magnitude of a role? And two, was there any pressure kind of trying to do your best? Because uh, I think this could be your best work. And I, and I said that the same thing about... Um, Hill House. So it's like it keeps escalating when it comes to your career, as I mentioned. And after this oh, is done, after this thanks. is done, Henry, yeah, after this is done, do you feel like um, 
I mean, that's a lot of pressure with this part. I mean, it, re- it really is. It It is, and it was, and I was nervous about it, and I was scared, but it, that was also part of the lure, right? Um, but also, uh, Mike said when he talked to me about it, you know, he said, I have a couple of parts that you would be right for. One of them plays for a few weeks, uh, but it's something we've seen you do before. Uh, there's another one that only plays for a day, but I think that's where I want you, but it's Jack Torrance. And I understand if you don't want to do it. And I said, no, let's do it. You know, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you have to shave your head. And I said, okay. (laughs) And, um, so I shaved my head and got a bunch of wig fittings and, I, I mean, I did a lot of pre-production work for that role, more so than than on-set work. Like, I was only on set for maybe ten hours, um, but I was I was in fittings and w- wigs and uh, special effects, makeup and stuff. Uh, I was in that stuff uh, quite a few weeks. And I almost pinpointed the filming of it, too, because there's a picture of you at a Comic-Con on your Instagram where it's you and William Shatner, and you had a shaved head. And Was that, yeah, around, yeah. Was that around the same time as the filming of Doctor Sleep? Uh, it was a little bit afterwards, yeah. Um, uh, my, my head had to be shaved a couple of months in advance of, uh, of shooting so that, you know, my scalp wouldn't look white or, 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 you know, glow at, at, at night or something. I don't right. know. They wouldn't shine through the wig. Uh, so, uh, it was around that time. It was in 2018, like at the end of 2018 around, uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and, uh, one of my last questions is, uh, Bly Manor, Henry Wingrave, um, you know, another powerful, powerful, um, show, um, how much fun playing the alter ego, the the sinister smile. Um, you look like I have to believe half the budget on this on this production was for the for your the clothing that you wore. My God, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I I had some nice suits. Yeah. Holy cow! Was, it, it, the only bummer was that Mike had said it in 1986, so I, I couldn't really ask for any of those suits at the end of the <laughs> show and then expect to wear them anywhere. But. Um, but yeah, they were. Uh, it was fun. It was fun playing that character. Probably the most fun that I've had playing a character. Yeah. Um, my last question be- is because um, he was such a character. Oh, he was so great, and and, and it's such a beautiful love story. Uh, you know, and I, that's the theme with I feel like Mike's projects, right? That you people could say horror and this and that, but the bottom line, if I had to use one word to describe his work, it's love. It's love. That's all it is, right? Yeah. He. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's a romantic, uh, at heart. And I think, uh, you know, his, his stories are like him. They have a depth to them. You know, they're not one thing. Um, so I really like that. And I, I would love to see, uh, a Mike Flanagan film that wasn't hinged in, uh, him being a part of one genre or another, because I mean, untethered, I think he could do uh, amazing things in any genre. 
Uh, today, I want you to know that I ordered a Window in the Mirror. I am. I was not aware that you were an author, and I looked into it. And boy, am I excited to, to go into this. Uh, talk about your people that are listening. I'm sure, I don't know if they knew you were an author or not. Uh, I'm excited. It's. I believe it's the first of three books. It's the first of three books, yeah. Um, I'm writing the second one now. Uh, this one was sort of written between uh, 2015 and 2019, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I've been kind of percolating, uh, for a while and it's, I love fantasy. Uh, I always have, and I wanted to write a fantasy story that I had sort of built a world around and, um, and this is it. So I, I I certainly hope you enjoy it. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, what can you say about Midnight Mass? You mentioned that earlier. That's your next project coming up. Super excited for this as well. Yes, uh, Midnight Mass is uh, it's exciting. I'm excited because I think uh, this is this is Mike Flanagan uh, at his most uh, most uh, Flanagan esque. <laughs> so. Uh, I I think I think fans are really gonna really gonna love it. Uh, you're, you're wor- uh, as, as I mean, we had an amazing cast and we had an amazing experience, and we made it through the COVID shutdown and and got the show done. And uh, you know, it, it's very close to all of our hearts. So Did they give I, you- I can't wait to see. Is there a release date for that, Henry? Not that I know of. Um, but I'm assuming it will be either, uh, you know, this fall or maybe earlier this year. Uh, your work has had a profound Im- uh, impact on my life, Henry, going back to 1982, uh, gotten me through some very difficult times in my life. I will forever be grateful to you, and I wish you a lifetime of health and happiness and love, and I, and I hope you come back on down the road, Henry. Thank you so much. You're a good man, a good human being, and a wonderful actor. Oh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me. And uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that the work has resonated with you over the years, and it means a lot to me. So, thanks very much. Thank you.